excited. Chad, are you excited? Yeah, we get to continue our series, Running Your Race. That's right. Have you ever, um, like, ran a race or something? Have you ever, like, done cross-country or no, track and field? <laughs> no. no? Well, I have. I'll continue. Go ahead. I just wanted to let you know, point that out to you. Yeah, so, you know, I actually, I've never run a race or done a marathon, but, you know, um, every year we have our camp up here called Legacy Camp for our high school youth. And I kind of look at that as a marathon, um, and be- it's because we host 250-plus kids up here at our church, so we have to put up the camping tents and all the things that they need, and our days are like 18-hour days. It's very long. And so um, when I know this week is coming up, I'm making sure I'm rested up and healthy and eating good the- before camp comes, and um, as the week is going, it's just we're constantly looking at that what we're doing, which is trying to reach and... Um, lift up this next generation. Yeah, that's so super cool because I love how you use legacy as an as a illustration because it is actually 350 high schoolers that come here and even more so probably this year. And it is 18 hours on the low end of our days. But this is, this is the thing that really that you got to catch. It's because we know what the result will be. So we put in the, we train, we run this race because we're, we have the hope that these kids of the next generation come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior so that these are their next leaders, not only of the church, but of our state, our teachers, our homes, our families. When we are influenced by Christ, it changes the world. And so we get to do that. And, you know, we run a race in such a way because we want to run with endurance. We don't want to quit halfway. We don't want to injure ourselves, so we train. You know, and we run, physically run. I don't know about you, but I would tap out real early because I'm just not in condition to do it. However, if I knew that I had to do something like a, a, a race or something, we would train so that we wouldn't tap out. And that's exactly why we're here this, this evening. This is what our midweek services are for, so that we constantly train so that in the race of life, there is no tapping out that we can run the race and run it with endurance. Amen. We're going to welcome up Pastor Marsha. Anyway, so we are talking about endurance. And right now, we're all understanding endurance a little bit, aren't we? It's tax season. So we got to get all the papers together, fill out the forms, put that all together, endure all of that. Some of us will get a check. Others of us are going to write a check. And then those of us who are moms, boy, do we get endurance. Because we went through the pregnancy period. And then we had to go through labor and give birth, and that was endurance. Dads, you get that because you went through us being pregnant. You went through our labor, and you had to deal with whatever came out of our mouth during labor. So you understand endurance. Um, We take our babies home after all of that. And then we have to endure their teenage years. I have a beautiful granddaughter that I love with all my heart. But when she hit 12... I looked at her one day and I said, you know, if you make 13, you're going to be lucky. And then she made 13. And I ran on her Instagram page and I said, happy birthday. I said, happy birthday. Lucky you made 13. I'm glad you made 13. And then she kept doing her stuff. And I said, man, lucky if you make 14. Lucky if you make 14. She made 14. Now you know what we're saying? Girl, lucky if you make 15. But you know, we're having to endure. Those of us who are football fans, some of you have endured some painful games. Others like me, we've endured a painful season. 
But second pick, first round, not too bad. Others, you have to endure a job that you don't like because it puts food on the table. You're enduring going to school. See, the thing isn't, are we going to endure? We're going to have to endure. It's how we're going to endure. See, some people, they endure difficult times by being angry. They grumble, they complain, and they pick on the world. And guess what? The world picks on them back because of the way that they're acting. Others of us, they'll endure, and then they're going to grow as they do. Endurance is a way of life. We're not going to escape it. The Apostle James wrote in his letter to the Jews, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various troubles, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do the complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now notice James didn't say if you encounter various trials. He said when you experience trials. We will have to endure. We can be mad at the world when we do, or we can grow from it. It's our choice. Now tonight, we're going to learn three ways that we can lean on God's grace so that we can run our race with endurance and grow from the experience. I'm going to take this off. Endurance is um, defined as the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. The ability or strength to continue or last, especially despite fatigue, stress, or other adverse conditions. Simply put, endurance is sticking it out even when you don't want to. When I was young, when I had to do things that I didn't want to do, my dad's in the military, you know what he'd tell me? Just do it. Just grin and bear it. Thank God that there is another way. We don't have to just grin and bear it. We don't have to go it alone, and we don't have to do it on our power. God is the one who strengthens us in our weakness, and he's the one who's going to empower us to keep moving. His grace is sufficient. The Apostle Paul learned this when he asked God three times to remove a medical condition. You know what God told him? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. When God answered Paul's prayer by saying, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul didn't grumble. He didn't complain. He didn't whine. I probably would have, I'll be honest. But Paul didn't. He made a choice. And he chose to use his experience to boast about his weaknesses in God's strength. I love how the um, Living Bible says it. In the Living Bible, it says, Now I am glad to boast about how weak I am. I am glad to be a living demonstration of Christ's power instead of showing off my own power and abilities. 
See, Paul realized it wasn't about how strong he was, how smart he was, or how capable he was. He'd been there. He'd done that. Before he became a follower of Christ, he was actually rising up in the ranks of the Pharisees. He called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he was satisfied at this point to let the power of Christ be evident in his life. He learned to be content to allow God's power to reveal itself through his weakness, his discomfort, and his pain. And then he learned to let others help him. Now, we can learn from Paul. And this is your first point. We can learn to confess our weakness. Now, when somebody says, how are you? We're really not that honest. We just kind of blow it off, and we answer, fine. So it's actually become kind of a cliche, and hi, how are you, has actually become a one word, how are you? Hi, how are you? How you doing? And what it has, it's become this thing that we don't even ask wanting to know. It's just something that we say. Now, I'm not saying that every time someone says, how are you, that you have to answer with how you are. Can you imagine somebody says, how are you? Well, I don't know. My husband and I had a fight. My son's failing in math. My car just broke down. And just before that, I got a ticket. People would start avoiding us like the plague if we started answering like that every single time. But there are those moments when the burdens that we're carrying is just a little too heavy. And God's not shocked when we're overwhelmed. It doesn't throw him off. In, in fact, because he knows us, and he knows that we can't do it alone, he commands us to help each other out. And then when we ourselves encounter those moments in our life, when we need help, we need to give others that opportunity to come alongside us and to help us carry our burden. In Romans chapter 12, verses 13 to 15, Paul wrote, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And in Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, God equips his body to rejoice when others are rejoicing, to mourn when others are mourning, and to encourage, lift up, and bear the burdens of those that we come alongside with. And if we're going to be the one in need, and we want to endure past our quitting point, or we want to endure difficult times, then we need to let others know And we need to let them do what God equipped them to do and come alongside us. You know, a few years ago, this lady was driving through the drive-thru at her um, local coffee shop. And she got up to the window, and the barista looked out, and they noticed that this lady was just having a bad day. It wasn't going well. And so instead of just letting the moment pass, they kind of inquired, you know, hey, how are you doing? And in that moment, instead of blowing it all off like we normally do, she admitted she had a need. And she shared with them that her husband had just died the day before. And they looked at her, and they knew what to do. And I want you to see this picture right up here. I don't know if you can see that. Three of them leaned out the window. They laid hands on her, 
and they prayed with her and sent her on their way. See, when she confessed her need, she gave an opportunity for a believer to respond and to do what they were equipped to do. And when we're going through a difficult time, others are called to support us and help us through. But to do so, we need to let them know that we need help. King Solomon, who's considered the wisest man in the world by some people, wrote this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But can how, how can one person keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. The others are equipped to come alongside us and to help us carry our burdens. They're called to walk with us through our trials and to encourage us to stand firm and to pray with us. And God designed it that way. He designed it so that we would come alongside and help each other. And he's always present to help us. Philippians, I mean, Psalms fifty fifteen, And call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Psalm sixteen eight. Keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. He wants to help us. He's not far away, and he's always available. One day, a little boy was out playing in his yard, and he decides, you know, I think I want a fort. And so he goes into the house, and he says to Dad, hey, Dad, can you help me build a fort? So Dad goes out with him, and they look over the yard, and Dad says, that corner right there would be the best place for a fort. But there's a big rock there. So I'm going to go gather everything, and while I'm getting it together, I want you to move the rock. So little Johnny says, I can do that. And he goes over to the rock, and he pushes, and he pushes, and it doesn't budge. And so he looks at it, and he thinks, I know. So he goes and gets a rope, and he gets his bike, and he ties it to the rock, and he ties it to the bike, and he goes riding, and the rock doesn't budge. And so Johnny thinks, I got an idea. And he goes and he gets a shovel and he starts digging around the rock to loosen the dirt. And then he pushes the rock and nothing happens. So Johnny decides, you know what? The rock can't move. So he goes into the house and he says to dad, dad, we can't build the fort. The rock can't move. And then dad says, well, did you try everything? And Johnny goes, well, I, I don't know. So he goes back out, and he looks at the rock, and he decides, if I get the ground around the rock wet, then the, rock, the ground will be soft, and the rock will move. So he takes the water hose, and he waters all around the rock. Then he does it all again. He goes and pushes the rock. Nothing happens. Takes his bike and rope, pulls the rock. Nothing happens. He goes into the house, and he says, Dad, I've tried everything. And he lists everything that he did. And dad says, did you try everything? He goes, I tried everything. And he goes, are you sure? Johnny, are you sure you tried everything? And Johnny goes, dad, I tried everything. And then dad says, you didn't ask me. See, sometimes we're like that. We forget to go to the father. We try to do it on our own strength. 
We try to do it on our own wisdom. And then when it doesn't work, our emotions get involved and they take over. But when they do, they hinder us, they cause us to point finger, and they cause us to blame God. And we become ungrateful. The Israelites did that when they were wandering in the desert. In Numbers 21.5, it says, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we don't like this miserable food. See, they lost sight of everything that God had done for them. Along the way, God had given them water as they needed it. Their clothes never wore out, and God made sure that they had enough food for each day. But things didn't go the way they wanted, and so they grumbled. You know, a few months ago, our family was expecting another grandchild. And we were at that point that we were going to know whether it was a granddaughter or a grandson. And we were so excited. But then the phone rang at work one day, and my husband answered the phone, and there was a miscarriage. And I remember at that moment being upset. And we were supposed to go to lunch with some of our, um, the people I work with, Bunny and those guys. And I said, you know what? You go to lunch. I'm just going to stay here in my office. And I stayed in my office, and I remember being so angry and grumbling because this is actually the third miscarriage that they'd had. And at that point, I just, I was mad, and I looked at God, and I, well, looked at God. I said, you know what, God? You couldn't even do this. You couldn't let them have this one. And in that moment, it's like God said, would you begrudge your grandchild being here with me? And I just stopped. And then I turned. My perspective changed. Everything changed. And I started to pray. And I asked God, well, I asked him for forgiveness, but first I grumbled some more. And I poured out my anger, and I poured out my frustration, and I poured out my heart for my kids. God is faithful. And he actually walked our family through that season. Psalm 94.18 says, When I said my foot is sleeping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. See, God's not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our emotions. He's with us. He wants to be our strength, and he wants to see us through. Psalm 6, 3 through 7 says, of 63, 7, I'm sorry, says, Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. And in his faithfulness, sometimes he gives us the big picture. Because in that moment, when I was grumbling to God, I realized that the big picture wasn't that our family would get to embrace another baby, though that's what we really wanted. The big picture was that another soul was in heaven, that God got to receive another soul. 
And when we're able to see past our own desires and wants, and we look to God's big picture and purpose, then we're more prepared to endure. See, my mom and my grandpa on my dad's side both died of a heart attack. So I made a decision early on that I was going to do things a little different. And I was going to eat healthier. Not healthy, just healthier. And I was going to exercise. Now, you know what the worst part of my day is, honestly? And I'm sure my family's going to be shocked to find out. The worst day of my day, the worst part of my day is when I'm putting on my workout clothes and I'm going to work out. And I'm going through YouTube because I have a set of um, workouts that I do, and I'm finding my workout for the day. And when I get that on, and she's cheerily welcoming me to the warm-up, I'm not a happy camper. It's not thrilling. But an hour later, after I've gone through all that, and I'm sweaty, and she says those wonderful words of, we're going to begin the cool-down. I'm so glad I endured till the next day. But I'll tell you what, because I have that bigger picture of better health, I grab my workout clothes every day. That's our second point. See the bigger picture. Because when we see the bigger picture, then we're able to endure. Now, isn't it true that it's easier to save money when you know what you're saving for? I'm saving for a house. I'm saving for a car. I'm saving to send my grandkids to college or kids to college. I'm saving to go on vacation. When we have that big picture, it's easy to make that sacrifice. If you're in school and you can see your degree, it's so much easier to do all the studying, to do all those classes that you really hate because you have your degree in sight. If there's a medical reason, it's easy to exercise and make dietary changes. See, when we see the big picture, it's easy to endure. My mom tried, quit, tried to quit smoking for years. Years since I was little, she tried to quit smoking. She had one heart attack. She never smoked again. See, having a greater purpose gives us the strength and determination to endure. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you notice that? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You know what a lot of commentators say that joy is? That the joy that was set before Jesus the big picture for Jesus was him looking at you and me in the eye and saying to us, it is finished. You're forgiven. And because Jesus had that big picture, he was able to endure the cross. And just prior to giving us that example, the writer of Hebrews, just one verse before that, writes, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which, is so, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
We each have our race to run. That race is our calling. It's the greater picture that will help us to endure and to grow when it seems like it's taking too long or we're facing difficult circumstances or we want to quit. You know, instead of giving up on that family member that you've been praying so long for, picture them standing before Jesus and Jesus saying, you're forgiven. When you can see that picture, it's easy to hit your knees and pray for that person again. When you're facing temptation and you're at the point of like, I just want to give in, picture what your life could be like without that temptation. If you'd overcome that and surpassed it, what your family would be like, what freedom you would feel, and then gain confidence from that. Gain your encouragement from that. And make the right choice. When we have the bigger picture, we're able to endure. We don't need to let what's going on around us weaken our resolve. We need to look at the bigger picture, call on God to help, call a friend, and stand strong. Now, most of us know the story of David and Goliath. David was a little shepherd boy. And one day, his dad sent him out to go check on his brothers, who was in Saul's army. And when David got to the battle area, he noticed that all the Philistines were lined up in one area, and all the Israelites were lined up in this area, but all the Israelites were hiding in rocks and crevices. And then Goliath, who was about nine foot tall, would come out. He'd basically call him out. He'd say, one-on-one, winner-take-all. says that in my Bible. And David was watching this, and he's looking at the army of Saul hiding in the rocks. And he says, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And eventually, David went out with a slingshot, five smooth stones, and he faced Goliath who had a sword, shield, and a javelin. And when Goliath laughed at him and tried to discourage him, David declared, you come to me with sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. It wasn't David's skill that he did have that that gave him the confidence to overcome. It wasn't even in his confidence in his skill that helped him. David held a much bigger picture. David saw the living God. And because he had that bigger picture, he killed a giant. He was unstoppable because he had a bigger picture. And like David... We can endure, and we can be unstoppable if we develop a big-picture faith. And with that big-picture faith, and this is number three, we can invest in something bigger than ourselves. See, we can't be distracted by all that's going on around us because we'll lose focus, we'll become distracted, or we'll feel no need already. We need to have a bigger picture so that when the news or people around us 
say things that distract us, we're able to look past that to what the future holds. I don't know where Glenn is. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Jason Witten is a tight end on the, I can't even say the word, he's on the Dallas Cowboys. And he's never missed a game in about 10 years. Maybe he's missed one. And one day he was asked, how did you not miss a game? And you know, he didn't not miss a game because he managed to go 10 years uninjured. He didn't miss a game because he managed to go 10 years playing through the pain. And when they asked him, why did you do that? He says, I couldn't imagine being out on the field. I couldn't imagine not doing that. He could feel the adrenaline rush. He could smell the dirt. He knew what it was like to be out there, and he couldn't imagine being out there. He had such a big picture of the game and everything that goes with it that he was able to push past his pain and play the game. We are unstoppable when we have the bigger picture. And we need to be able to see beyond the news, beyond circumstances, beyond politics, and we need to look to the promise of God. Now, Jesus was talking to his disciples one day, and he warned them of times just like these. But then he gave them hope. And he said in Matthew 24, 12, 13, because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. Doesn't that sound like today? And then Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. We don't have to lose hope. We don't have to live in fear. We can invest in something bigger than ourselves and press on. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Exodus 17. And I'm going to say something. I'm, I'm, I'm about 55. How old am I? 50. I'm asking my daughter. She doesn't know. I'm about 55. And the reason I'm telling you that is because I'm going to speak to those who are my age and older. See, it's too easy for us right now to see the, all the young adults that are rising up and taking on different responsibilities in the church and to step back and say, I'm not needed. Good. Let the young ones do it. We see all the technology and we decide that we cannot or we don't want to. But I want to challenge everybody who's my age and above. If we're still here, our race is not done yet. We have not endured to the end. We still have to finish our race. We just need to figure out what our race is in this season. Now, if you're doing devotions and you're using the bookmark, then we're reading about Moses and we're, we're talking about him leading the Israelites out of the promised land. Now, Moses was 80 years old when he went with his brother Aaron to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And when they were finally able to lead the Israelites out, it wasn't easy. He was leading 600,000 men plus women and children. God had to provide food for them. So he sent manna. The people grumbled, complained, whined, and rebelled along the way. And if that wasn't enough, they had enemies. So I'm going to read from Exodus 17, starting in verse 8. And you can follow along. And it says, The Amalekites came out and attacked 
the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot the name of Amalek from under heaven. Now Moses did something here that I want us to catch. Moses was the one leading the Israelites out of Egypt. But when it came time for the battle, Moses understood that that wasn't his role. And he sent Joshua. And then he and Aaron and her went up to the hill. And he was probably where they could see him. And he had his rod in his hand. And that rod was the same rod which which he struck the ground and some of the plagues came upon Egypt. It was the same rod that the Israelites saw him use to part the Red Sea. And so when they got to the top of the hill, they didn't take out their beach chairs, sit down, and say, okay, the young ones are doing it. Let them fight the battle. They participated. See, Moses knew that he had a role, and his role was no less important than Joshua's, even though Joshua was fighting the battle. And he raised his hand. And the army could see it. And when he did that, when he participated in that way, it gave them hope. It gave them direction. And they were able to fight. And when his hands went down, and they didn't see him participating, the battle turned. And when the battle was done, he wrote it in a scroll. And it's very interesting, because when he wrote that in the scroll, we see Joshua again. This time, we see Joshua in verse 24. It says, Then Moses set out with Joshua his aide, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. Something happened between the battle and when Moses went up to the mountain of God because Joshua was called Moses' aid. He was with Moses all the time. Moses began to mentor him. My generation, we're the ones who are to invest in and encourage this next generation. We're to become the Moseses to the generation of Joshua's that are rising up. Our race is not done. We're training the next generation. Now, to the next generation, I want to challenge you. See, after the battle with the Amalekites, Moses began to mentor Joshua. 
But Joshua wanted to learn, and he made himself available to Moses. When Moses went up to the mountain to speak with God, Joshua went up with him. And he was with Moses when the people were down below. And when they started to sin with the calf, it was Joshua who said um, to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Joshua was with Moses on the mountain. And then when Moses would go to the tent of meeting, the people would stand at a distance. They'd be standing outside their tents, and they'd be looking from a distance. But Joshua went with Moses. Exodus 33 says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Joshua went with Moses. He became his sidekick. Now, those of you who are in the next generation, there is a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of wisdom in my generation. And you guys need to make yourselves available. As you grow and you develop your leadership skills, don't look past us. Approach us. Put down your phone. Look us in the eye. And ask questions. Why do you do things the way you do? Why do you respond the way you do? Why do you act the way you do? How was it done in the past? Be a Joshua. Make yourselves available and watch how much you'll learn. See, one of the core values at New Hope Church is this. It's continuing to equip and build up the next generation of leaders is essential to building his kingdom. That's one of the big pictures of our church. That's how this church is going to endure. And when we partner together, we get the big picture. When we partner with God, we are unstoppable. Would you bow your heads? And we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that in your call to endure, you never leave us alone. You send us friends to walk alongside with us. You come alongside with us. You speak to us. You give us a bigger picture. And Lord God, as we see that bigger picture, and as we trust in you, would you help us to become a people that is unstoppable? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Marsha. Yes, good word. And one of the things that kind of stuck out for me is um, with her message is when we're enduring a race, we're actually, we're not alone. We're enduring this and we're doing this together. And also, you know, with her first point, she talked about um, confessing our weakness. And I thought, you know, for guys, you know, we don't like to talk about weak or share about being weak. But kind of made me think, you know, if, if we're not willing to share about what's going on, um, I kind of thought, you know, what am I not being open to God within my life and if I'm not willing to be open with that am I not letting God speak into my life am I not letting him um, help me through my struggles and so you know we need to we need to be real with ourselves and we need to confess and help one another and I think that's what the body of Christ is about yeah it's so great you know we we love having that encouragement and that's kind of what helps us run the race. We're not doing this alone. We shouldn't be alone. 
We need to be doing this together. That's why I think it's so great how Pastor Marsha shared about then the generation before us and then the generation after us. We all have something to contribute to the race. I'm not sure about you, but I have actually gone to see the Iron Man and be like completely inspired. And I watch how when they are running, that there's actual pods, like they have their family members come out, they have all their friends come out, and they start cheering them on, especially when they start getting closer to the end. Because it's, that's when we come become tired. I guess that's when, you know, your energy level starts depleting. But then you have people that surround you and start cheering you on. All of a sudden, they get faster and quicker, and all of a sudden, they're just going, 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 because that motivates us. And that's how Christ is. He continues to motivate us because we're all in this together. You know, I, I um, experience that every day up here um, working on staff. I'm Tom's assistant to projects and facilities. And for myself, I don't know a lot about building and construction. But every day that I'm here, Tom is constantly encouraging me, lifting me up. I can go to him and I ask questions. And I'll have one way of thinking, okay, I'm going to do this, fix this this way or do it this way. But I'll ask him, like, what do you think? And then he'll show me something and I'll be like, that just saved me the whole day. You know, it's, it's just a blessing to be able to go to someone and to learn from them. Yeah, I love that because it's a blessing. You know, Pastor Marsha, she's seen me. Well, I've been at this church since I was like eight. And so she kind of watched and was witness front row seats to the crazy teenager that I became. And here's the, the story of how the generation before us can continue to pray and invest. You may not like the person per se. You know, I don't think I was very likable, but I think it was because they saw the bigger picture and that they continued to pray. We forget that we have the most powerful tool and resource through prayer. And when we do it together for one another, you know, we get to, don't say, you know, Pastor Marsha hit that, that point where, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. When actuality, take some time out and say, you know, could you pray for me? Become vulnerable, become open, transparent, and say, hey, you know, I'm kind of struggling right now with, with this or that, or, you know, my teenager driving me nuts. Can you, can you pray? Yes, we can pray. You know, we can be there for one another, and that's part of the race. That is part of what we get to do as the body of Christ. We're going to call out the worship team right now if they can get ready. We're going to close tonight. I wanted to just kind of reiterate again Hebrews 12, 1. I'm going to read it. I love this verse because it actually breaks it down for us in a way where he's talking. They are talking to the believer, and this is what it says. It said, therefore, we are also, since we are surrounded by so great of a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. I'm going to stop right there. This is what it's saying. Look, guys, there's people watching us. There are people watching. And so we lay aside everything that weighs us down. That we can. He's giving us an option. He's giving us a way. And he's saying, look, lay it down. Lay aside the sin that ensnares you. Okay, we are all sinners. But he, through Jesus Christ, he gives us a way to say, look, I'm telling you, there are people watching you. Stand for what you believe in. Stand firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we are the believers. We are the church. And so we continue. This is what it, it continues to say. 
and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is our true motivator. We keep our eyes focused on him. I guarantee you we can run this race. With each other, side by side, as the body of Christ, we can finish the race and we can finish well. Isn't that awesome? It's so encouraging to know that we get to do that for one another. We get to learn from the generation above, before us, and we get to learn and we invest in the generation after us. Why don't we stand, church? We are going to declare because you know why? God's grace is so amazing that with that grace, we get to proclaim who he is and how amazing he is because it's in that grace that we get to continue to run this race. It's through that grace we can offer forgiveness. It's with that grace that we can we can continue the process. And it's in that grace that we get to stand and say, I am so grateful and I am so thankful for who God is that he continues to motivate us so that we can run that race. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. We got this because he is the author and finisher. Amen? Amen. Let's put our hands together and proclaim his word.